And welcome into the Killcoin Conversation this week, featuring the one and only Daryl Strawberry. Mention that name, and probably a lot of things come to mind. Number one overall pick, superstar for the New York Mets in his early 20s. He and Doc Gooden were the sort of the poster children for the Mets emerging as a power. And then later, for a lot of the problems that came with that early fame and success. But Daryl Strawberry, you know, he did play. Uh, close to 17 years in the league, might have missed a year, but 83 to 99, uh, eight-time All-Star, over 300 home runs, 1,000 RBIs. And I bring this up in the interview with him because a lot of what's written about Daryl Strawberry is what might have been. If he didn't have his demons and addiction issues, boy, what might have been. And uh, it's kind of funny to hear that with somebody that did get 335 was the exact number for home runs, 1,000 RBIs, mentioned the eight-time All-Star. So despite all of his issues, had a pretty lengthy career, but then post-baseball famously battled those drug issues. He tells the story how he met his wife, a woman from St. Louis who's now a pastor. They're real involved in their ministry here, traveling around the country, Not only talking about their faith, but trying to keep people away from drugs and giving up that drug life and just the emptiness that comes with it. And for Daryl, it goes back to when he was a kid. He said his father was a violent, abusive alcoholic, and there was a night in the home where he pulled a shotgun. And he said, I'm convinced if my mother doesn't pull us out of there, that we would have killed him that night. So the, the story for Daryl is complicated. It starts young with problems at home, but it's now a full circle turnaround trying to help others. Clean, I believe, for about 18 years now, following God and writing a new book called Turn Your Season Around, How God Transforms Your Life. That's a new book from Daryl Strawberry. And that's sort of our jumping off point in the interview is to talk about the book, why he's written it now. But for our Cardinal fans, of course, we're going to go back to the 80s talk about the Whitey Herzog, Davy Johnson, Mets cards, rivalry. And I was curious, there's things you read on Wikipedia, you know, that he got into a fight with Keith Hernandez on team picture day at spring training, that he called Wally Backman a little redneck and he was going to beat him up. We get into all of that. Some of the big moments over the years, Terry Pendleton's home run at Shea Stadium late in the 87 regular season. So certainly a lot of baseball talk, but also with Daryl Strawberry, just life decisions and how he's at peace now and really wants to help other people. It's a fascinating story if you think about where he went from A to Z. It's just it's a name that sort of has a magical vibe to it. And uh, just talking to him now, you can tell he's at peace. The Kilcoin Conversation, presented every week by Appliance Discounters. Find them online, theappliancediscounters.com. Bosch, GE, all the top names at the lowest prices, plus the great service. All of that, one spot, appliance discounters throughout the area. Triad Bank, based in St. Louis, started here in 2005. Say it a lot, but I think it's important to know that this bank is based in St. Louis. So when the decisions are made, it's right here in town. They're not calling New York. They're not calling L.A. It's all decided here in town. Just great personal service. So I don't care if you're just opening a checking account. I've opened them for the kids. Or if you're a business owner and you want a bank that's going to help you do business, Triad Bank is there to serve. That's what they're all about. Triad 
www.clayton.com is the website, and you can find them in person in Frontenac on Clayton Road, triadbanking.com. And our great friends at Marie de Villa Senior Living at the corner of Clayton and Weidman Road since 1960 here in St. Louis, providing supreme senior living. MarieDevilla.com is where you can take a virtual tour, find out more about this beautiful campus and the place that Red Shandy's called home for so many years. Without further ado, I don't know what that means, but we say it all the time. I should probably look it up. French took it in high school for a little while. Without further ado, Daryl Strawberry. The Mets legend and St. Louis resident that still freaks me out, but he's got a new book out, Turn Your Season Around, How God Can Transform Your Life. Daryl, great to talk to you, and it's great to have you in town. And as as a lifelong St. Louis, and I, I told you this, I'll get texts from people saying, I think I saw Strawberry at the mall or the store. I'm curious, how much do you get people coming up to you in St. Louis saying, aren't you Daryl Strawberry? I get a lot of that. You know, they remember me from my heydays of playing with the Mets. And, of course, they didn't like us. And, you know, we didn't have that much love for the Cardinals, you know, because we were each uh, two great ball clubs and we were fighting for the division. You know, remember back then when you had to play, it was no wild card. You had to win the division to get into the playoffs. So, you know, I just remember the Cardinals crushing our dream 1985. And we came back in 86 and we crushed their dream. So it was always nice uh, to have that good battle against the Cardinals, but, you know, living in St. Louis has, has been a, been a blessing. It really has, you know, my wife's from here and, you know, we've been able to do a lot of great things here. It's a great community, great people. And, you know, I'm just thankful that we uh, came back. We left for a few years and went to Florida and we came back and, you know, we go to a church out in Troy called journey church. And, you know, my wife's a pastor there and we just do a lot of great things helping people. Well, let's talk about the book. You've written ones before, but this one is turning your season around. Good baseball analogy, but how God can really transform your life. Tell us about the book and why this book right now. Well, at the end of the day, you know, life has its journey and has its turns and, you know, you're twisting, twisted in life, you know, and you go through, you know, certain challenges of life. And, you know, for me, that's what it was, you know, being able to overcome so many different things and being able to become a different person. Yeah, I've written a lot of books before, but uh, this book has to do with by my faith and, and how I've been walking for the last 18 years and what I've been doing. And, you know, I've been preaching for the last 13 years. And, you know, God called me from a whole different place, which I knew I wasn't qualified to do, which none of us are. But I just made the commitment and, and I stuck with it. And I, the reason why I stuck with it was because my wife, she was very faithful in her walk and she was living a different way. And when we came together, I finally decided that I needed to live a different way. And, you know, it's, it's taken me places that I could never imagine. It's, it's probably the greatest job I ever had uh, because I get to, you know, really help so many people and I get to really be able to preach the gospel to a lot of people and, and do a lot of great things. So it's pretty cool. I mean, baseball was cool, but, you know, this is really cool when you travel the country and you see people that are hurting and need help and need encouragement and really know that God hasn't really forgotten about them. He didn't forget about me. He won't forget about you. Was there a low point where you said, okay, enough's enough? Or I've, I've heard stories from addicts where they say, well, you guys told me it was a low point, but I didn't realize it was. I mean, was there a point where you said, okay, I can't do this anymore? Yeah, there was some really low points, you know, when I was living in South Florida and, and Tracy was my girlfriend and, uh, and I was still using and she was clean and, and, I, and she was pulling me out of dope houses in South Florida, you know, I was shooting dope, smoking crack. And, you know, I was like $3 million in debt and I just wanted to die. And I said, why don't you just leave me here and let me, died she said well god has a plan for you i said you and that god leave me here 
and just let me die in this. And she said, you're just not that lucky. So I realized that, you know, God always have a plan of using people to help people. And I guess that's why I'm on the platform because he's using me from where I came from to help so many people and to see so many people struggle like I have over the past few years, you know, especially young people with the opiates and heroin addiction that has killed so many young people and to be able to go into schools and speak to kids and educate kids about the danger of, of drugs has, has been a plus for me. I mean, I went across, you know, the, this nation to schools and went on them for free. I didn't want a dime. I just wanted to really be able to educate uh, the, our young people the importance and what can happen to their life. Hey, what's your message to them? Is it, hey, look at me, I was down and out and I turned it around. I mean, what, what do you tell the kids? Well, my message is clearly to them. It can happen to anybody. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, black, white. Uh, it really doesn't matter if you make that decision to start picking up. And I try to get the kids to understand that, you know, vaping is not cool. I asked them why, why they, why do they start vaping? They said, because they see celebrities doing it. And I said, vaping is not cool because you're going to get some health problems. And I try to educate them about don't start drinking, don't start using any kind of pills or drugs uh, just because you're not feeling well. Go to some type of counseling, get some help, get somebody that can listen to you and can understand where you're at instead of using that. Because I try to get them to realize that once you start on that, it's hard to get off of it. And I've seen so many young kids, they're, they're all dying from, you know, from 18 to 25. They're not living, they're dying. They're, not, they're, they're going past uh, marijuana straight to hard drugs, you know, and I, I think kids don't understand that it's deadly and that you can die. And I think a lot of times, you know, we make it as a society that it's okay that, you know, it's okay that if you want to use and, you know, feel good to escape from reality is it's not because they get addicted and they can't get off of it. How much of it is you get stuck with regret or shame. And, you know, for you, you're such a public figure when you, when something would happen bad, it's in every newspaper, it's on TV. And I would think that's part of the, the hardest part of digging out is everyone's talking about it. And that's, I just wonder, I always hear that shame or regret. Is that what addicts sometimes have to battle too to kind of stay strong and get past? Well, it's a hard process when you have to go through it like I did in the, in the public eyes. You know, everybody has an opinion and, and there's no clear understanding because everybody think, well, because you, you're famous, you're rich, you have everything, you should be well. Well, money don't make you well on the inside and being famous is not going to save you from you know, the troubles that are out there, they're real. Uh, it's a real society. It's a real reality that we live in. And the brokenness of who you are, are is real too. And I think a lot of times people don't recognize that. They think, well, just because you played Major League Baseball, you should be well. And that's, Major League Baseball don't make you well. That just make you a baseball player. You know, I, I think a lot of people don't understand. There's only one person that can really make you well, that can fill the empty void on the inside of us. That's God himself. We search for so many other things to try to, please us and make us feel happy and it doesn't last it's only lasting for a minute you know and I realized that through throughout my time you know going through it in the public eyes but I can sit here and tell you I'm glad I went through it in the public eyes because I became a better person on the outside you know of what they used to say instead of what they're saying today you know a lot of guys when I played you know when they heard that I was going into ministry and I was going to be serving God they was like yeah let's see how long this will last well it's been 18 years you know and I haven't looked back, you know, opinions are going to always be opinions. It's a matter of can you continue to move forward? And I've been able to move forward, you know, through the whole process. And, and a lot of it has to do where I'm living. And you too, I can tell you that being in St. Louis, where in the Midwest, where it's quiet and, and people are, are, are so different, so friendly here compared to where you're at in the bigger cities, you know, in California, New York, 
you know, it's a fast pace moving and people don't want to see you well. And a lot of times in those places and they want to kick you while you're down. Well, and you were a kid and you're in New York and you're a star. I mean, it, I, I'm not, ex, you know, give, giving you the excuse, but if there was ever a recipe for disaster, right, you give a young kid a bunch of money and fame. And uh, I imagine it, as we've heard the stories, I mean, it was pretty crazy. Right. And nobody's going to tell Daryl Strawberry he's out of line. Right. Did anybody ever try and slow you down because you're such a big star? I assume they're just sort of afraid to even approach. Well, they don't approach you when you become a star like that in a, in a place like that. They just let you go. And the reality is they know it, it could be deadly, too, uh, at the same time. I'm quite sure that uh, Frank Cashin, the general manager, he did not want me coming up early. He did not want Doc Gooden coming up early because he looked at the fact that a lot, what a lot of people didn't understand, it's New York City. You know, it, it, it's not, you know, Seattle. It's not somewhere where it's quiet, where you can go play baseball and just play baseball. Uh, he knows the temptations are real in New York City and the expectations of you playing there were going to be real. So it was very challenging, you know, but I, you know, I tell you what, I got a chance to see guys really live, right. Was Gary Carter and Mookie Wilson, you know, guys that had been in the big leagues for a very long time. And I admired them. I really wanted what they had, but I just, like I said before, I just didn't have the guts to be able to go and ask them, how did, how did you get to a place where you can be a baseball player, but you live a simple life. And, you know, I think a lot of times people were laughing at them and persecuting them because they were drinking milk while everybody else was drinking alcohol. So I, I, I wish I could have been drinking milk like them at the time. You know, funny because Gary Carter always sort of got mocked for being, you know, the, the perfect guy or the holier than now, like, or a phony. But it really, it seemed like that was him. He was that guy. Did he ever say to you or Doc, hey, you guys got to, you got to cool it, man. No, he never condemned anybody. He never judged anybody. He always just kind of loved you. You know, his expression was great love to you that you know, your life is, is far greater than baseball. That's what he used to tell me. He used to tell me that God was going to use me in my life. He says, because you're a good person and you may be going through a lot of things right now. But he said, I see God using you after your baseball career and it's going to be mighty. So, you know, I, I just really admire Gary Carter for who he, who he was, you know, even in the midst of him smiling. And people say, well, he was smiling all the time looking for the camera. No, he actually was. A, he was free. He was just a free person inside. And, you know, he lived for Christ. He didn't live for, you know, being Gary Carter, the Major League Baseball player. He loved his family. And, you know, he showed that. And Mookie Wilson was the same way. You know, two guys, you know, you, sit, you see a team that, that's pretty crazy. And you see two guys in the middle of it that plays a big part of it. They're totally different. They're the totally opposite of, of everything else that everybody else is. People always put you and Doc Gooden in that same sentence. You ever think that's unfair to both of you guys? Oh, well, Daryl and Doc or Doc and Daryl. And granted, you guys were making some mistakes at the same time. But do you ever think that was unfair to both of you guys to sort of be lumped together? I think so, to be lumped together. That was unfair, you know, because we have two different personalities and um, we're two different people. Uh, nobody, nobody's the same. We just had talent. We were playing in New York at a young age. He was 19. I was 21 when I came to the big leagues. And like I said before, had it been somewhere else, it probably would have been a different story. Nobody would have ever made the big fuss about us, even though we was multi-talented, you know, to be able to play at such a high level at, at the major league level. But when you play in a place like New York, the spotlight is on you. When you come to the ballpark, you got 40 reporters in the clubhouse. You know, you go somewhere else, you got three, you know, so could you know, imagine Excuse me. Imagine what that feeling is like, you know, and, and you have to deal with that. And then you came back and played at the end of your career for the Yankees. So what, what's the experience like on one side of town, Mets, Yankees? Give me – and you had Joe Torre there who's got to be like a father figure, I'm sure. You're winning World Series. 
How different was your experience in New York at that point with the Yankees? Well, it's very calm at that time, you know, because I didn't have to be a star anymore. I could just be a player and I could play a role. And, and a lot of times I didn't have to play. And I would go into and Joe Torrey would always ask me, how you feeling? And I said, I'm feeling OK, but if you want to play somebody else, it's OK. He goes, no, I'm asking you because I want to play you. I said, well, I feel, I feel great. And, you know, Joe Torrey was like a father, a father figure. And you think of George, the boss, he was incredible the way he loved people. And he took, you know, people that had issues that were broken. He took them in as sons and he helped them and he guided them and he gave them an opportunity. And I'm so grateful for that because he gave me an opportunity and helped my family deeply. Appliance Discounters, a great St. Louis success story. They're in Maplewood, South County, St. Charles, and Baldwin. And they carry GE appliances. You know the story at Appliance Discounters. Great merchandise, even better prices. Well, they carry GE. So what I tell folks to do all the time, I just tell them, go to the website, theappliancediscounters.com, and in the little search engine, type in GE, and all of the great products will pop up. Ranges, microwaves, freezers. How about the stainless steel dishwasher? Free installation. Washers and dryers. Dryers can be gas or electric. Great selection of the GE products. Refrigerators. French door. Fingerprint resistant refrigerator. How does that sound to all the parents out there? Top freezer refrigerators. GE is built to last. You know their story. Started in 1892. I love this nugget about GE. Thomas Edison, one of the founders of GE. Appliance Discounters, a proud supplier of General Electric appliances. Get online at theappliancediscounters.com. The fountains and flags outside invite you in. Once inside, it's obvious what makes Marita Villa so special. It's the people that live there and the people that work there. I know for a fact it's a fun place to visit. Been there many times over the years for special events, and you can tell the residents love it as well. Welcoming atmosphere, providing all types of senior living, independent living, skilled nursing, memory care. Marie de Villa Senior Living, that's what we're talking about. A single location, that means ownership is hands-on. The residents here are considered guests, and trust me, they feel that way. The beautiful grounds make it more of a campus-type atmosphere. I love calling it the Marie de Villa Campus, located at the corner of Clayton and Weidman Road, I guarantee you've driven by. They've probably seen the fountains going. Red for October baseball, blue when the blues are deep into a playoff run. It's a family-owned facility. It's been in business since 1960. And for so many years, it was home to the Cardinals legend, Red Shanes. I encourage you to take a virtual tour or simply to read more about this special place. Go to mariedevilla.com. And you look at what you accomplished. You were an eight-time All-Star. A thousand RBIs right on the nose. That's kind of a cool stat, right on the nose. 335 home runs. And yet you'll read some things, well, what might have been or what he could have been if he didn't have his struggles or demons. And I'm looking at that saying, that's a pretty damn good career. What do you think when you look back? Could there have been more? Well, there probably could have been more if I was healthy, you know, but I was broken before I ever put the uniform on, which a lot of people don't understand, you know, and with, with the issues of my father and the rejection and the abuse in the house and the alcoholic and coming home for the last time, pulling out a shotgun, saying he was going to kill the whole family when I was 14. And, you know, had it not been for my mother getting us out of the house, we probably would have killed him that night. So I always tell people my pain led me to my greatness and my greatness would eventually lead me to my destructive behavior. So what could have, if I could have, should have, yeah, the numbers could have been a lot better. You know, there's always players that come to the big leagues that you, you see that have the potential to do great things and, Will their numbers ever fulfill 
you know, the, the promises over their life. I, I believe I had a, a great career. I believe what happened in my career was supposed to happen because in the end, it made me the man I am today. And I'm doing such incredible, great work that's far greater than baseball. And I think people are looking at the baseball stats instead of looking at the person that I became, you know, evangelist, traveled the country 250 times and preaching in large churches and doing a lot of good things and, you know, helping young people get, you know, off of drugs and, and helping young people not to start on drugs. I think those, I think those things are more incredible than me hitting a three run home or hitting the ball off the St. Louis clock. I just had to get that in there. <laughs> I knew he was going to bring that up at some point. Yes. He hit one off the clock. Uh, I want to, I want to talk a little cards, Mets. That was such a fun era, but let, let's remind folks, turn your season around how God can transform your life. I imagine they can find it online and bookstores and, it, it seems to me like that would be for anybody, an 18 year old kid who's struggling or a 70 year old grandpa. I mean, I would think this, as we've seen, this whole opioid epidemic hits all ages. Yes, it, it's for everybody. It's for it's like more of a uh, discipleship tool to, to show you how God can transform form your life, meet you right where you're at. I think we all are in some places in life and none of us have it all together. We try to believe that we have it all together, but we don't. At the end of the day, you know, and it just speaks to people's lives, you know, where he meets us right in the midst of everything. You think about it, what we've all been through. We've all been through a pandemic. We've been through a nation with racial issues and everything. Now, who is going to be able to transform and change us and make us better in in these times? It's surely not the people in the political arenas. You know, they they don't even like each other. So how can they help us? (laughs) You know, that's the thing. That's the thing we got to look at. And there's only one person you know, that really cares about us in our deep, deep, um, hard times. And that's God himself. And I know clearly I met him in my deep, hard times. I'm grateful for the grace. I'm grateful for the prayer, uh, prayers that my mother had over my life and and my wife helping me and and bringing me back to the place that I am today to be able to uh, do what I'm doing. So Tracy happened into your life. I guess we always look back at moments and say, maybe God had a plan after all. Like when you first met, you probably didn't know she was going to change your life. I had no idea. I had no idea that God had sent her and she would be the changing force for my life because, uh, you know, I, I wasn't Daryl Strawberry Major League Baseball player when I met her. I was $3 million in debt, didn't have a driver's license. I was in the midst of addiction. And there was, she was caring for me because she saw everybody else hovering over me like I was a star and she thought it was sick and, you know, the guy need help. And nobody really wants to help this guy. They just want to take pictures with him, get autographs. And and she thought it was just a, a sick freak show, you know, that, you know, having all kinds of people just, you know, around me. And then we became friends and little did I know we would end up married, being married and being on the road together, doing what we've done ministry and, and help so many people. Do you talk to former teammates? Is there, were there any fences you had to mend players you'd had differences with back in the, in the day? Well, not really, because, you know, for former teammates, you know, a lot of them had different opinions about me once I changed my life, you know, and when we started going back to reunions, they started to see that I was different. You know, I wasn't that same guy. I wasn't one of those guys that was going to go hang out in the bars and drink, you know, and stuff like that. And I wasn't going to be talking about the old stuff. And, And they respected that, you know, I didn't I don't consider myself any better than any of them. I just made a decision that I wasn't going to live that way anymore. And I, and I hadn't lived that way in 18 years. And I think they're still waiting to see if I'm going to return back. Did you really try to, did you fight Keith Hernandez? Is that accurate? <laughs> Team photo? Is that a myth or a truth? No, it was a truth. You know, there, it, it was, it, it was about 
a disagreement. You know, one of the reporters came and told me that he had got into my business about me. I shouldn't be worrying about negotiating my contract right now in spring training. And then I just kind of got into it uh, on picture day, you know. But me and Keith, I tell you what, I, I have nothing but respect for him. He taught me so much about the game of baseball. What an incredible player, the IQ that he had. He, he taught me how to hit left-hand pitching. He taught me how to hit the ball the other way. And, and, and I remember I hit like 15 home runs the other way and mostly off of left, left-hand pitchers because he taught me how to do that. And Wally Backman, a guy the Cardinal fans hated, I think you said you were going to beat the little redneck up. Cardinal fans might have helped you with that one. <laughs> but- <laughs> well, I, I, I know they probably wanted to. I know he used to run his mouth a lot and he said a lot of things in the paper. And, and I'm quite sure, you know, I, I felt that way a few times too, you know, but he, went up, he was my teammate. And I could tell you like this, you know, in our clubhouse, it was crazy at times, but once we stepped on the field, man, we were serious business, you know, and you know, in, any ball club, you know, have that at times And the clubhouse can be crazy at times, but when you step on the field, can you block that out? And I think we were really good at doing that, being able to block the craziness of who we were out. I think Whitey might've hated Davey for a while there or had us believe in that. And player wise, we, I think Hojo was number one. We Cardinal fans might've booed you, but I think they kind of always liked Daryl Strawberry. The player it was hard not to like. But, boy, Hojo, I think Whitey walked him once so he couldn't get a 100th RBI, something mean-spirited. How, how about between the teams? Did, was there true animosity? Yeah, I think it was a, a lot of hatred there, you know, because of the fact we had to go through each other. And it, it, it wasn't anything personal, you know, as far as, as being a player, you know. But, you know, you had a different uniform on. We had a different uniform on, you know, and, and we wanted to beat the Cardinals, you know. And I'm quite sure they felt the same way about us, you know. we we had to go through them most of the time and they had to come through us most of the time, you know, besides the Cubs beating, winning in 84, you know, the Cardinals in, you know, 85 and, you know, us in 86. And I believe the Cardinals were back in the day, broke out back in 87 when Terry, yeah, Terry Pendleton hit that home run off of Roger McDowell at Shea Stadium straight away center. So it's, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot there, you know, I mean, I mean, I liked the guys over there. I, I, I always liked Ozzy. I always liked Willie. I loved Willie. Willie was great, you know. Um, Vince Coleman, you know, uh, TP was great. Uh, I guess we just didn't like Tommy Hurt because he would always step in and out of the box, you know, and, and take his helmet off and, and curl his hair back, you know. And <laughs> we just thought, well, come on, get in the box, you know. So, uh, But Tommy Hurt, was, Tommy Hurt had a great year where he – didn't hit over five home runs or 10 home runs, I think, and drove in 100 runs. So, you know, the Cardinals were really good at what they did. Whitey was a great manager, uh, probably the best manager we played against. You mentioned hitting the clock, and then you mentioned Pendleton. I think he almost hit the apple out there, didn't he? That had to be one of the best – well, not for you guys, but it was a regular season game late in the year. When you guys played, it felt like the playoffs. And we don't have, you know, a wild card or divisional – that, those were basically like mini playoffs before one of you two would win the division. And that Pendleton home run was a regular season moment, but around here it, it almost has postseason lore. Yeah, it, it, it dropped us from there, you know, because we, we, we needed to beat them, and we knew that that was the only way we were going to be able to get in. Like I said, we didn't have a wild card. It wasn't a, another door open, so you had to beat, beat the Cardinals, you know, and they were, they were the team to beat, you know, and, and I, I just – those, I just remember those games. Those games were always, you know, intense games, you know. And when you look across the field, you, it's like, yeah, they wanted us and we wanted them. And, you know, it was a great battle. I, I think it was great for baseball. It just, you know, when you look at the announcers and they could say, when you look back in the days of the Mets and the Cardinals, 
those two teams, you know, were going to get at it. And it was going to be some, it was going to be some drama in it, you know, of somebody hitting a big home run, a whole Joe maybe like hitting a big home run at Bush Stadium, like TP hit a big home run at State Stadium, stuff like that. And it was just a time of baseball where baseball was fun. You know, we had a lot of respect for them. And I'm quite sure they had a lot of respect for us. And game six in the 86 World Series is the Buckner game. It's famous, of course, in Boston. But in that game, right, Davey Johnson double switched you out, which is crazy because of your bat and your glove. But so where were you when all of that went down? I was in the clubhouse. You know, I was in the clubhouse watching the game because I got double switched and I was really pissed off because I figured, you know, if we're going to lose, I want to be on the field, you know, with the team and everything. And, you know, and, and it worked out. It worked out well for us. You know, we, we we came through game six, you know, with two outs, you know, and just base hit after base hit. And before you before, you know, you know, there was, was the play with um, Billy Buckner, who was a great fielder, you know, who never got a lot of credit for the, the player. He was what an outstanding player he was. It was just that one play, you know, trying to beat Mookie Wilson to the base and took his eye off the ball and the ball went under his glove and we go on to win game six. But we still had to come back and win game seven. And you get to go back, whether it's throwing out a pitch at, at the new city field or back to an old timers game at Yankee Stadium. I'm wondering now the adulation, the fans, they still love you. Like back then, it probably, you know, helped empower some of the, the bad decisions. But I wonder now if it feels good, like you've, you've changed your life, you've got a story to tell, and they still love you. I would think it, it's a different kind of feeling now for you. Like you can, you're almost able to kind of get it. Whereas when you're a kid, it, it goes to your head. And now it just, does it feel good to go back and know they love you after everything that's happened? Yeah, because when you're a kid, you don't get it. You don't, you don't understand it. You make so many stupid mistakes. And, and when you go back now, the people just really appreciate me for who I am. You know, and a lot of people, you know, that follow me, they appreciate me for who I am, not what I did on the baseball field. Of course, they admire me for, you know, my baseball skills and everything. But they admire me for the man that I've become and, and the way I stand up and what's really important in life. And I think, that, I think that's more important than anything at the end of the day because that's who we really want to be. I'll end in with a Sinatra-related question. Any regrets for Daryl Strawberry as you look back? No regrets. No regrets. I'm glad that I had all the broken pieces and, and I was able to look up and look up at the cross and find Jesus and allow God to just transform my life and, and become a great man of loving people and caring for others. You know, at the end of the day, uh, it's really not about us. It's about who we can help. And I lied. Final, final question. Tell me about St. Louis, what you like about it. What you, We're all very provincial here. We love to hear we're <laughs> insecure about Chicago. And we always want to know if we compete with the big cities. But we, we're a smaller town. We're a big, small town, people have said. What, what do you like? Where do you go? And you and your wife, do you get around at all? And, and non I, I, just, I, I just like the people. Um, I like the, the way people are and the way they uh, receive you and the way they treat you. And they don't hover over you or anything like that. And, and I just think it's a, it's a great, you know, it's a great sports town. You know, you got the Cardinals here, you got the blues here, you got, you, you have enough just, just as much as other big cities have. And I think sometimes, you know, big cities have too much and they stay open too long. And what I like, like about St. Louis, it closes down at a certain time and everybody's home. Turn Your Season Around, How God Can Transform Your Life. It's the new book by Daryl Strawberry, doing great work around the country, ministry work, and now, and for a few years now, back in St. Louis, based here with his wife, Tracy. Daryl, thanks so much for your time. All right. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Great to catch up with Daryl Strawberry. And for all of my friends and buddies around town who will text 
And this went on 10 years ago. Then he moved away. And now Daryl and his wife, Tracy, are back in town. But they would say, I was just at the store. I was just at the mall. And I thought I saw Daryl Strawberry. I mean, he is very recognizable. And the answer is yes. If you're walking around the St. Louis area, you're out and about, you might actually see Daryl Strawberry. Kind of crazy, this Mets legend, Cardinal rival, now calling St. Louis home. But I hope you enjoyed the visit. Make sure you're registered for iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Get signed up for the Kilcoin Conversation. It'll get you all of them. The uh, segments we do with Orlando Pace, the Big O Show, once a week, talking football with the Rams legend, Hall of Famer. We've been doing Hanging with Big Walt, Keith Kachuk, from the Hockey Kachuks, a couple of times a month. Also weekly, Martin and Marlowe, my uh, TV colleague, Charlie Marlowe. So if you sign up for the Kilcoin Conversation, you get all of those. And they're housed at Scoops with Danny Mac. All of our visits can be found at scoopswithdannymack.com. Check out all of the great content that he has online. As always, thanks to our sponsors, Appliance Discounters, Triad Bank, and Marie de Villa Senior Living. I'm Martin Kilcoin. We'll talk to you again soon.